My name is Brent. At first, there were only two of us. Just two ordinary humans. Until one evening, we hooked up on Facebook and decided to start a podcast. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where myself and Jenna read and discuss every Animorphs book in order. This week we are doing book 50, The Ultimate, which is a Cassie POV. Uh, it opens at the Free hork colony where the Animorphs' parents have been chafing under the limits of life during wartime. Jake has been too depressed to do much leading, and none of the adults but Ava are inclined to listen to him anyway. Cassie sort of helps him get his groove back by telling everyone he called a meeting and then letting things get awkward and heated enough that he couldn't not step up but their relationship is cooling, which is decidedly ungroovy. They form a plan to recruit new Animorphs, and make the decision that, due to a combination of Yurk prejudice and parents just not understanding, teens with disabilities are the most expedient talent pool from which to recruit. They recruit a whopping 21 auxiliary Animorphs from the, uh, disabled orphanage at a local hospital? But their recruiting trip to a school for the blind ends up being a Yurk trap. Jake, Rachel, Marco, Tobias, and the Escafil device are captured by Tom. Cassie has to rally the new Animorphs to rescue them, which totally works. But Tom escapes with the Escafil device. Hey, Brent. Hey, what up? This was a this was a dicey book. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, first off, it starts <laughs> in media ruse. You could say. Could I in media ruse? Because it's an action you- scene, but they're they're <laughs> drilling. It's a drill. It's a, it's a fake. It's a, make them up. I think you could say that, Brent, and I would support that. Okay. As your co-host, I would support you saying that. In fact, could you do? Could you say it just one more time? Uh, this book opens in media ruse. <laughs> okay. I came around on it. <laughs> it's a good. It's a really good joke, Brent. No, no, no. It's very bad. <laughs> what you? So you uncame around on it? We're really. Really pushing and pulling here today, Brent. It's it is the daddest of jokes. That doesn't mean that I don't love it. It just means <laughs> that I know that objectively it is not a good joke. That's fair. I respect that. I I liked that they were doing drills for evacuation. I also liked that they had this series of pipes that they were using to escape as roaches, and the way that they were telling which way to go is they had like sacks of spices so that if they smelled like the cinnamon they know which direction they are because they can't see i thought that was that was some good good fucking work and writing you see good book. the animorphs escape plan is a series of tubes <laughs> i mean it literally is <laughs> and it, yeah that is what that is um i like that that toby really seems to have the 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 best handle on what actually went wrong with this run through like the Jake is so despondent and basically useless at at the beginning of this book that he just is not really in it and so when when they fail out the end of the drill Toby's like all right well we'll need to dig these down and like surround them with cement and do these other things and it's like well yeah Toby Hemi's on the ball here yeah and thank God, because like you said, Jake is really struggling. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're seeing here how affected Jake is by not having been able to save his family. Mm. And it's, I mean, Tom, 
and the, the idea of saving Tom has been what's kept him going this whole time. And man, as far as Jake is concerned at the beginning of this book, he has failed at everything. Yeah, his heart is so clearly not into it. And that's bad because he is still the leader of all of them, even though like Rachel's mom, Naomi, is struggling with the idea that he is the leader. Once she finished the Hork-Bajir constitution, she kind of like got a chance to stop letting inertia carry her forward and started going, wait a minute, this is bullshit. Aliens aren't real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, part of me wonders if maybe it's just a form of restlessness. Because in the previous books, she seemed more or less um, succumbed to what was happening. <laughs> in this one, she's like, I don't know. We don't, we haven't even talked to the Yurks. I don't believe anything these kids are saying. And it takes it takes Marco's mom to, to sort of talk her down from leaving. Well, sure. I mean, crazy. you think about it. She's a successful lawyer and single mother who's raised three kids. And all of a sudden, she realizes, I've been living in the woods for weeks. Uh, <laughs> and I'm taking orders from my nephew, who is a teen. And the, nobody's told, like, the police. Yeah. yeah I, I get where she's coming from. It just, she does take yeah. an awful lot of arguing to to walk off that ledge. Yeah, and Jake is not in a position to convince her. Like he's just not there emotionally. Yeah, he just sort of shrugs noncommittally at everything. Yeah. Marco is whittling and staring at the sky. <laughs> he literally, yeah. That was such a funny scene. He's just like whittling and Cassie's like, "Uh, what are you doing?" He's like whittling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm whittling. What else are we going to do? Yeah. She's like, "No, we have there's things to do, Marco." <laughs> This is a good scene. I know a good a good Cassie Marco friendship scene. Yeah, because he kind of he kind of t she says something I can't remember exactly what it is, but it sort of snaps him back. Like, oh, good lord, who am I right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he's just like he's so sunk into the a forest living. He just dazes off for a moment. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, did you want to mention the uh, ghostwriter for this one? Yes, I'd totally forgotten. Um, <laughs> but before we continue on, this one was ghostwritten by Kimberly Morris, who also wrote books 38, 48, and 52. Um, as before, I cannot find a website for her, and, uh, but I think she's the same Kimberly Morris that mainly writes children's books. This, I think this, this book had some very um, tense moments with Cassie and her parents. I think that's maybe like the main, I mean, I guess Cassie and her parents and also Cassie and Jake. Some really tense sort of situations happening this time around. Yeah, Cassie and Jake are, I, I don't want to use the phrase on the rocks exactly, but girls... And Cassie specifically are definitely not at the forefront of what is on Jake's mind right now. And so he's not really in, he's not really there. He's not in this like she is. Yeah. And Cassie, I think, is trying so hard to manage the Animorphs' moral stance while also defending the Animorphs' actions to her parents. Uh, and that's sort of really fascinating to see play out in this because like there's that scene early on where uh michelle we also all have all of the parents names now which is just a huge relief for this audio medium do we want to do the rundown yeah yeah let's do that real quick okay jake's parents are gene and steve yeah marco's parents are ava and peter we knew that tobias's parents are lauren and alan sure cassie's parents are walter and michelle and rachel's parents are naomi and dan more like Naomi and what's-his-face. That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> Naomi and uh, human controller number 265. <laughs> yeah, it is confirmed in this book that they're just not 
They're just not bothering. <laughs> uh, but there's that scene early on where Cassie's mom is, uh, where Michelle is trying to help the, like, hork panic room planning committee. And she's like, no, you can't. <laughs> okay, all right. Saying it that way makes it sound like it is a meeting. It's less a, a committee and more of a just a bunch of them started building a thing. Yeah. I don't What do you call? I mean, that is what a committee is. Just a bunch of just a bunch of fools trying to build something. I would call it an anarcho syndicalist construction company. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, that is better. Yeah. So Michelle's harping the anarcho syndicate. What did you say? Construction committee. An- anarcho syndicalist contracting, I guess, firm. <laughs> and she's trying to convince Cassie to make the panic room bigger because uh, they're quote unquote wild animals and they need more space. And Cassie's like, "No, they're sentient." And this is a panic room, so we're not going to do that. Oh, man. Both of Cassie's parents in this book kind of continue their thing from last book where they are having trouble seeing the very obviously sentient alien races as anything other than the sorts of wild animals that they take care of at the clinic and the gardens. Yeah. This is just an extension of uh, Michelle patting Axe's blue butt. Oh, yeah. The... (laughs) The Michelle Axe butt play scene. (laughs) The famous. The infamous. Yeah, and then, yeah, we have that scene later on where uh, Walter and Cassie are arguing because Walter doesn't think that they should conscript disabled kids to their war. And Cassie's like, yeah, I agree, but also I have to defend the Animorph standpoint, like POV against this but cassie was arguing the same thing her dad is arguing and and so to see her having to be like no i i know why you're arguing this but this is what we've decided to do so i have to defend it morally is pretty devastating it's it's really indicative of how much more of a family unit the animorphs themselves have become than any of them with their individual families regardless of how despondent jake is over his biofam's controller status when the chips are down the animorphs close ranks with each other against whoever yeah yeah we see that later too with that that sort of group meeting where they force a vote to make jake the leader more officially and it's like that was never going to go any other way but it was interesting that they had this sort of performance of bringing all the parents together and being like okay gosh who's gonna be our leader it's jake oh hey we stacked the deck uh but i think that that really points to what you're saying is like the animorphs have been through so much together by this point and they have to like they have to stand together because they're the only ones here who have the fullest view of what's really happening even more so than most of the hork except toby cassie's not the only one who closes ranks in this book even though she initially disagrees when they're talking about making new animorphs like at all rachel is hard against it no surprise after book 48 mm-hmm. because she knows what that means for her if they fuck up at all because she's still the designated executioner yeah there's a moment early on where cassie i think think is defending Rachel to somebody else I can't remember who maybe Michelle uh where she's like Rachel isn't cruel she's just hard sometimes same oh <laughs> yeah that's accurate it's it's such a nice turnaround I think from the last big Cassie Rachel confrontation we had which was in Rachel's book where Cassie was less, I think, forgiving. So it's nice. It's nice to see this sort of update for Rachel. There's a point when they're when they're having this whole conversation and they're trying to figure out who to like draw from as a pool to make new animorphs. 
where Jake has, almost through sheer force of will, overcome his depressive helplessness. And he's like, well, what about our families? And everybody just sort of stares uncomfortably at their feet and waits for someone else to talk. Uh, all, all they can come up with is, well, anybody but my family, which, oh my god, guys. Yeah, especially since Jake has more or less already sacrificed his parents for the cause. It, it it was especially hard to see. I mean, I think I think the issue is that they really should give their parents the choice, and they didn't. And that's interesting, especially considering the the general consensus they come to is let's offer these hospitalized kids the opportunity and inform them as the best we can and give them the option to do it. They don't really do that for their parents. And and even Tobias, whose mother is literally already morph capable yeah. <laughs> and would be willing, more than willing, to participate in this, he's like, nah, she's I just got her back. We're not doing that. Yeah. She's been through so much. It's like, okay, so have you guys. So they they eventually come up with and they have some real like, you, you can follow their logic. They first decide it's got to be other teens because adults just take too long to get acclimated to the idea, which makes sort of sense given the earlier part of this book. But, like, just a few books ago, they were, like, on a battleship and there were Navy sailors saluting Axe and thanking him for his service <laughs> and offering their DNA for his morph or whatever. So, obviously, it's not, like, an <laughs> yeah. intractable position. I, the, the decision to go for teens is sort of an awkward one. I'm, and They don't underline this but i i think it seems like there are more yurks among adults than teens so that might have also been part of it but that they don't ever really talk about that they're mostly just like yeah let's get more teens because we're teens which is a grim a better argument against recruiting adults is that the adults that they've got there already that are in the know are already real dubious about listening to jake and Mm. since jake is the leader of the animorphs almost by definition any new animorphs they bring in have to be willing to take orders from jake yeah yeah that's a really good point I, i can see that as an argument way more than well parents just don't understand (laughs) yeah adults you know don't trust anyone over 30 (laughs) and then they they decide and was it cassie who came up with this idea Uh, cassie is the person who suggests it i think i also think she really wished she hadn't but i think she's the first one who put points out that the yurks are seem to be less willing to take disabled hosts so uh, they were less likely to be controllers already yeah, and axe agrees with this logic while throwing around some andalite slurs for the disabled and i'll take this moment to point out really quick that both brent and i are able-bodied be aware of that as we continue with this discussion which is a little dicey morally in a lot of parts yeah i, I- did do a little bit of research uh, beforehand, and I'm fairly certain that the language we're using is the 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 most correct. But I am not 100 on that, and please correct me if I am using language uh, in this space that is not appropriate. Yeah. So they they do yeah they basically say well so we need teens with disabilities to to be our animorphs like they have an argument about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and I think I think they they rightly point out that based on their experience with Lauren, there's a chance that the getting the morph capabilities might cure their disabilities or at least change sort of their bodies in unexpected and, and really impossible to guess ways. And thank God they minimize that when they actually pitch this oh, uh, to, yeah, to the other Brent. kids because that oof, uh, I it, 
Based on their discussion, I thought that they were going to talk that up more as a selling point, which is uh, dark. Yeah. It's really dark. A really dark manipulation tactic. They don't uh, when they're actually like recruiting. Um, And thank God. Thank God. (laughs) So Jenna... Do you know um, what this hospital wing that they go to is? Because it seems like an orphanage, but also <laughs> like a long-term um, physical therapy for people who aren't going to to actually ever get better it just sort of made me think of like a patch adams-esque 90s movie where they would go to the hospital ward and there'd just be a variety of sick people with undisclosed illnesses mostly uh and then patch adams he does his thing or whatever variant of movie this is i just sort of pictured it being one of those but it is it is like an overnight, seemingly permanent residence for, for these kids. So I don't know, man. Is it a thing, though? I have no idea. I have no clue. It seems really strange that uh, somebody would, that, that a teenager would long term live in a hospital just because they were in a wheelchair. Uh, if for no other reason, then that seems extremely expensive. Yeah, and they're like, none of them mention parents. Is it Colette that mentions that her. The- uh, her... The one that had the quote-unquote skiing accident? Yeah, well, at least one of them said, oh, well, I, I live with my, my brother and his wife, and they're on deployment, and they, they're not coming back. I thought that was Colette, and I thought she was the one who was kind of the compulsive liar. Well, that's true. She may have just been doing a make up which I guess would yeah. explain why she seems to be into Marco, because they have that in common. <laughs> yeah yeah she was super into marco oh my god and marco is horny on main he's so obvious about it like uh <laughs> teens cool your jets yeah marco has zero cool but he's he's just like well i think she's trustworthy because she's into me even though i'm wearing this ridiculous magician outfit <laughs> That's true. That's true. They put on costumes in a theater shop that they break into, even though they can morph other humans and have human morphs. I think all of them at this point have other human morphs. They're like, let's put on some some fancy disguises. There's a whole lot about the staging of this plan that seems strange to me. Like they land behind a bike shop. Uh, and demorph there, which I get because it sounded like their plan was to steal some thrown out bicycle clothing, which we'll get back to that in a second. <laughs> but but then, like when they went out, they started getting shot at because the Yerks have posted guards at I guess every bicycle store in uh, the major metropolitan area. Now later, when they take their new animorphs to the gardens to acquire morphs, they don't run into any trouble. So I don't know what that situation is. Yeah, yeah, they also ran into trouble when they went to the school for the blind, where there were controllers hanging out there too. But the, yep, the gardens are just free and clear. They, maybe because they already killed all the controllers that were working there. But the Yurks know that the gardens are where the original battle morphs came from because they broke in there to get blood samples. Yeah. So they should be keeping an eye on that. Don't they have, like, things in orbit, possibly with cameras on them? <laughs> Probably, probably. Listen, a lot of the plotting with with this book was a little fast and loose. 
anyway, the the whole situation with them getting shot out in the bike shop, I think, was an excuse to get them into the back of the costume shop so that for some reason they would be the uh, birthday party clown Ninja Turtle special edition action figures or whatever. Oh, you think it was a merch thing? Uh, yeah, I, well... I mean, I, I think if this were a cartoon, it would be, yes. It, it, but it's not. And instead, it's just sort of a confusing series of events that happens in the middle of this book. Um, they do successfully make a pitch to all of the teens in this wing of the hospital, though. Yeah. Or at least to the sort of ringleader, who's the kid who's been there forever, because he got in an accident when he was really little. Yeah. James. James, yes. And so they convince him, and he sort of picks out who he who's going to be on his Animorphs team. He's essentially yeah. the leader leader of the new Animorphs team. Yeah, he's the leader of this cell of Animorphs. Yeah, he actually, by the end of this book, is in charge of more Animorphs than Jake is. Yeah, he just takes basically all but the original crew under his wing. Part of me wonders if that's going to set up some inter-Animorph group dynamic later, like there's going to be a James versus Jake uh, showdown or something along those lines. (sighs) Was that somewhat <laughs> foreshadowed by James picking a lion as uh, his battle morph, the same uh, one that David chose? It's possible. Jake even points that out, but then he's like, but on James, you know, it just looked really beautiful. It's just a nice moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess Jake is kind of ready to not be in charge anymore at this point. So maybe if yeah. maybe if James challenged him, he'd just be like, you know what? That's fine. I really didn't want to do this anymore. That seems very possible. Although, who knows? I mean, they might not. They might not come to blows at all. It just feels like there's a chance that it could, it could go there. Also, I like that Rachel was jealous that somebody else got an elephant morph. Not just an elephant morph, her elephant morph. <laughs> Literally her same elephant morph. That was very funny. It's perfectly Rachel. Yeah, we've established that she feels uh, a very deep connection with that particular elephant that she has acquired the morph of. It's her elephant yeah. morph. And now someone yeah. else has it. Tobias is notably yeah. more chill about like 20 people having his body. <laughs> Which was also weird and so funny. Because uh, I imagine for Rachel, that's going to be awkward that there's like 20 people in the camp who now have her boyfriend's body. Oh, no, you know, this is a sitcom episode for sure. <laughs> yeah, she makes dates with three different Tobiases. <laughs> <and> then... <laughs> Good. Awesome. Woo. Hmm. Um, uh, one, there's a lot of weird stuff in this book. Weird in like the, maybe that's a questionable thing to do. And one of them is that some of the people who get morph abilities do, like when they morph back to their human bodies are like no longer disabled in certain ways. Yeah, notably the people who were, uh, whose disabilities were caused by injuries that weren't present in their original DNA. Yeah, and that's weird because it mentions later on that the three people who uh, were like cured by morphing became the lieutenants of all the morphs. Yeah, we both made notes about this because it seemed a little strange. <laughs> yeah, it did not seem like the best thing. It did It did seem to place a hierarchy on that, which was, is an uncomfortable thing to do based on the, the general moral stance of this book. Uh, yeah, given that it's already a little bit of a delicate subject that the book is interacting with, putting this sort of like ranking uh, seems unfortunate it, it was a curious choice also because they actually do a good the book does a good job of developing a lot of the personalities of the new animorphs which i, I 
was surprised by because there's a lot of them. And we, I mean, we don't get personalities or names for like all 21 or however many there are. But for like the first core group, we actually get a lot of information about all of them. Yeah. Uh, but then the three that become lieutenants are the ones we hear from the most towards the end. And that was curious. Yeah. And I think at least two of those are ones that weren't in the original group that we got fleshed out. They were just like named later like, oh, yeah, OK. And these guys because the original group um james colette kelly and timmy i think yeah uh, of those only james morphed back to human and and was able to walk again and i i would have expected colette kelly and timmy to be the other lieutenants yeah because they were the first ones he handpicked yeah but for some reason it just so happened that the yeah. the lieutenant jobs went to the people who are no longer disabled which I thought was a shame because both Colette and Timmy get a lot of character development and I was very attached to them. But then they just sort of faded into the background. Mm, Callie reminded me of Rachel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's I think that's very she's very much like the Rachel of the new Animorphs. <laughs> Um, but I was sort of surprised. They sort of mentioned that they did drills with them. I was surprised at the the giant battle at the end that they had to like talk through. I think it was Kelly, right? Who got s- extremely badly injured. Yes. And they had to sort of talk her through demorphing. I, I was surprised that they, that wasn't something they'd like practiced or, or worked on. Not necessarily mauling each other. This took a weird turn. <laughs> not like Not like mauling each other and <laughs> making them practice unconsciously but like not training and drilling on that a little bit more well i think they they might have but in the same way that they sort of had to get pep talked to get into the the actual combat like when they went to rescue the the animorphs it's one thing to like drill for it and it's another thing for it to all suddenly become very real that's true and they they stick out the battle at the end here a lot longer than they normally do like normally they've are fighting as they run and then they they escape and this one they are like it's blood in the sand like they are going to fight until there is no more fight left they're not falling back at all and i thought that was an interesting change that spoke to i think the the escalation that we're seeing yeah things are getting pretty desperate let's talk about the ending of this book do we want to talk about the ending of this book or do we want to ask if they actually because it it never says they actually got the the bicycle clothing or were they just carrying Mm. nude teens into the dangerous animal enclosures at the gardens Mm. Mm. that's a great question i'm going to choose to believe that they got the clothes and i would recommend everybody listening to the sound of my voice do the same now can we talk about the yeah all right let's talk about the ending uh so tom has the fucking escafil device now yeah and so he's He's more capable like that Cape Buffalo, right? I have to assume. I have to assume that he has done that. He has had the cube for more than a minute. Yeah. And I, I, it, there doesn't seem to be anything you need to do to really unlock it as we saw from the Buffalo. So I have to assume Tom is more capable now and also still a yerk. So that's all really bad. And they just sort of let him go. I mean, in some of the books, they seem to indicate that you need someone who's already more capable to activate the Escafil device. 
but then other books, they just kind of don't. So I fully expect Tom to be more capable. I, I also assume that he is. I just don't understand why they let him go. I mean, Jake was ready to kill him and Cassie stopped him, but I don't know why Cassie didn't stop Tom. This is a scenario that Jake has literally had nightmares about where he is a tiger stalking mm. Tom yeah. and going to kill him. And so it, it makes sense. If this were... Um, uh, a CW television show, Cassie would have killed Tom um, so mm. that Jake didn't have to. But this is Cassie, so she didn't want to kill Tom at all. I also don't know why she didn't just stop him, but she stops Jake from killing him and then Tom gets away with the Eskifel device. Yeah, and that seems really bad. I, I have to... Ass- I think we're supposed to assume, and I am just going to assume, that Tom won't try to go back to Visor 1 because he'll be killed on sight, even if he has the cube. Correct. That does give Tom a very limited window, or Tom's yerk, I suppose, a very limited window in which to do something. I think a curious thing is at the end of this book, Cassie's like, well, we let Tom get away with the cube, but something in me tells me that that was a good idea. And that is a perplexing thing to have at the end of this book i think cassie might just be high (laughs) like desperate for this to have not been the wrong choice like at the end of this book she's like yeah i have a good feeling about this axe pass me more of that space weed (laughs) it's from from a literary standpoint that's a perplexing thing to do because it's a really good terse ending to have Tom escape with a cube, because uh, that spells all sorts of possible doom. But for this book to end with Cassie being like, no, don't worry, that's all going to work out fine, is like, why would you curve your own cliffhanger like that? I mean, it might be Cassie just desperately trying to convince herself that she made the right decision. It might be. I get the feeling that it's not. I get the feeling that that is the voice of the author being like, don't worry, kids. Tom, it's going to be fine. Good thing next book has a different author, I guess. I guess, yeah. So I that was sort of a weird note to end on. I, I Otherwise, I, I liked this book. It had moments that were challenging for various reasons, good and bad. Mm-hmm. But overall, it was it was a good book. Yeah, I think its its heart was in the right place, even if it made some missteps. Yeah, it's weird that the animorphs use costumes when they get morph humans, but that's fine. Oh, we uh we see the the Yerk resistance saves their asses at the last second. Oh yeah, that's good. They this at the beginning of the book, they're like, yeah, we the Yerk resistant has gone dark. We do not know if they're still operating. So I, I'm glad we got that confirmation that they're still around somewhere. Yeah, the Yerk peace movement, they're still around. Um, and those are the people that Walter and Michelle and Naomi are thinking about. Oh well, we we should talk to them, but the Yerk peace movement is not who's in charge right now i think it would be good to reestablish those connection lines but they don't seem to be able to and like the chi are also struggling to get information because the just the yurks are so shut down right now the yurks have really stepped up their infosec in the wake of the human slash andalite bandits that the animorphs are (laughs) uh escaping from their grasp in the last book Uh, that feels appropriate what with Axe using like that technology to spy on them that feels like a natural reaction to that just closing down their lines a little bit it's super fucked up we we do get confirmation in this book tom actually like calls it out specifically oh you know we we put real low ranking yurks in your parents so that if we have to kill them we're not losing anything important uh, he really yeah. fucks with with Jake. That's a good tactic to fuck with Jake, cause he I I believe him. 
I actually believe that even if they put high-ranking Yerks in, you think so? <laughs> in, in his parents, they still wouldn't hesitate to kill him. But that's just Visser 1's whole deal, you know? Visser 1 will kill controllers for, Anybody like, no for reason. Any reason. Yeah, he's a loose cannon. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, somebody's battle cry during that final fight is who wants to wrestle this big green baby? Um, which is not super intimidating, but does sound like it might show up on a FetLife profile. And that's really the only <laughs> other thing. Oh, no. There's also uh, Jake sort of tips his hand here behind the bike shop where he says, how do we steal a bike? And then immediately looks at Marco. <laughs> uh, very 2019 of you, Jake. Oh, grim. Wait, uh, yeah. They just like... They didn't even steal them. Like, they just walked up and took them, right? And then they got busted. But Yeah, they just... Like, they didn't even have to unlock anything. Yeah, they, they, they just walked up and took them. Which is what Marco <laughs> suggested, but it is sort of the, the obvious solution to that problem. <laughs> Ugh. Anything else? Uh, no, I think that's all I got for this one. Yeah, I think that's all I've got for this one, too. Join us next week for book 51, The Absolute. This is a Marco POV. Looking forward Again, to it. Our last, our last Marco POV. Oh, this had better be a banger. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, we're at Fandalites. You can email us, fandalites at gmail.com. If you want to visit us on the web, we're at fandalites.com. Thanks to Justin Odell. For the use of his music for our intro and outro, we really appreciate it. You can find his stuff at dustnodell.bandcamp.com. Thanks once again for listening, and until next time, remember, nostalgia is a drug.